Hey, I don't know if you've seen this viral photo of Mindy and Ben. They're actually a wife and husband who were both working in surgery for COVID patients. And it's this beautiful image that just captures so much emotion that I know when I saw it, it moved me internally because I think right now this captures so much of what we're all feeling, but we're not able to express verbally, that we're frustrated, that we're frightened, that we feel alone, and we just want someone to look us in the eyes. You know, I think one of the reasons this photo went viral is that Mindy was honest about something. She was vulnerable. She actually said this, we were arguing the morning that this picture was taken. I love her vulnerability about that. She says, you know, we're married and we're both working and we're both afraid and we're seeing people die of COVID and we're afraid of catching it and we're frustrated and we're tired. And she was honest about the fact that they started this day frustrated. And in their frustration, they have this moment where they see each other and their frustration, which could have driven them apart, instead becomes this catalyst for a connection. You know, I think right now, every single one of us, we're all dealing with these same kinds of frustration. I mean, maybe you actually work on the front lines like Mindy and Ben, and part of your frustration is fearing for your life and seeing people lose their lives. Maybe your frustration is that your business is closed or your job has changed. Maybe your frustration is that you're trying to still do your work from home and you're having to homeschool your kids and you have loved ones that you can't see. We're all carrying around this latent frustration. I know as the leader of our movement, of our church movement, this week for me has been incredibly frustrating as I pray and I do my best to plan and say, God, what do the next two or three months look, for, look like for us? I mean, we know what we're going to teach from the word of God. We know what you want to do, but we have no idea when and how we can open the doors and what does that look like? And I've had moments this week where I find myself being short or just being annoyed and I've had to pause and say, wow, God, if I'm honest, I'm just really frustrated. I'm frustrated at things that are out of my control. I'm frustrated that the people I enjoy seeing, I can't see in person. I, I wonder, can you relate to this feeling? Can you relate to this frustration? You know, I want to point out something today that frustration, every time we have it, it sets us on a path toward one of two destinations. And here it is. Here's the frustration. We've all got it, right? We've all got it thanks to COVID. One way or another, we all have frustration in our lives right now, relational, physical, financial. And just like we saw in that picture with Ben and Mindy, your frustration can actually be a pathway. It can propel you toward deeper connection. Frustration can even point you towards inspiration where you're saying, I'm going to figure out how to solve this problem and, and God leads you to some new solution. This is where so many inventions came from frustration. But here's the thing I've learned in my life. Frustration can also lead me down a path that leads to flat out desperation. I'm guessing you've experienced both of these in your life, uh, maybe in a close relationship, a time where there was frustration, but once you and that person you cared about, you really talked it out, it led to a deeper connection. And if you're anything like me, there's been other times where frustration 
has only led to more and more desperation. And so here's what I'm wondering today. If I could tell you how to turn your frustration into connection or inspiration rather than desperation. If I could tell you today in the next 30 minutes, hey, just do this simple thing and where you're frustrated, it will turn into connection or inspiration rather than desperation. Would you want to know? Well, of course, every one of us who's alive would want to know the answer to that question. And I love the word of God. I love the teachings of Jesus because he talks about things exactly like this. Now, in this series, we're studying a well-known passage of Scripture called the Lord's Prayer. Uh, some Christian traditions have made this thing a, a thing that people recite. But really, if we look at it through fresh eyes, it's incredible because here's Jesus, who's almighty God. And he says, here's how you pray every day. And by the way, it's not a long prayer. It's not a religious prayer. It's not a churchy prayer. We're about to see this prayer is all about frustration. It's all about frustration. Here's how it starts. Jesus says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. We learned about our Father last week. If you missed that message, you can check it out. May your kingdom come. God, you've got a kingdom where there's no sickness, where there's no shortage, where there is no frustration. And so, Lord, please let your kingdom come to earth and let your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And then Jesus continues and he says this. Lord, today, would you give us today the food that we need for our stomachs? Uh, older translations of scripture said, give us today our daily bread. In other words, God, give me physically what my body needs today. And God, would you forgive me for my sins, for the ways that I've wronged you, things that I've done that I know I wasn't supposed to do. And also, God, forgive me the way that I've forgiven the people around me who've wronged me and who've hurt me. And then the prayer continues and it says, don't let us yield to temptation. Every day you're gonna have temptation in your life. That doesn't make you unspiritual. That just means you're alive, okay? <laughs> but God, instead of me getting trapped in some temptation that snares me, would you instead rescue me today from the evil one? You know, there's a theme in this prayer. And the theme is this, your frustrations, they matter. Did you know that your frustrations matter? I mean, maybe you have this impression of God and Christianity that if you're really spiritual or you're a great Christian, you'll never be frustrated. Guess what? That's totally false. Jesus was often frustrated. In fact, he tells us you're going to be frustrated every day because you're not in heaven yet. There will always be some things that are uncomfortable. In fact, if you look at Jesus' prayer, that very short prayer, you see five different kinds of frustration, five different types of frustration that you and I will encounter every day. Jesus says, every day you're going to have some physical frustrations. Now, really common in his time was people literally didn't have enough food. And that can be a concern in our world right now. But even when we have enough food, we might have an ingrown toenail. We might have an ache in our back. We might have something about our body that is not comfortable. And Jesus says, hey, when you pray to God, tell him, help me with my body. Help me with all my physical frustrations. I wonder where you've been frustrated physically lately. Have you talked to God about it? If you said, God, help me with this area where physically I'm frustrated. 
Your relationship with God is another area where there's often frustration. Very often we walk around and we're carrying shame and guilt, which by the way, you don't have to carry because Jesus paid for that at the cross. You, you don't have to walk around under a cloud of shame or guilt, but very often we do because we've done something we knew we weren't supposed to do. And instead of going to God and just saying, God, would you forgive me? By the way, he promises you in 1 John 1, 8 and 9, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you. Don't fall for this lie that if you're a good follower of Jesus, you'll never mess up. We all mess up. And that's why Jesus said, I know you well enough. Every day, you're going to need to ask God for forgiveness. Well, there's a third area of frustration. This is probably the biggest one for most of us, and that's our relationships. The people we live with or work with. Also, our relationship with you know, government officials and others. I mean, right now is such a frustrating time because it seems like one expert says everyone can get back together and another expert says no one can and you go on Facebook and your friends are all divided. And if you're not careful, it can lead to a lot of relational frustration. How do you handle that? You take it to God. You say, God, all these people around me, they're all messed up just like I am and they're frustrating me. So would you help me to forgive them if they've wronged me outright? Would you give me patience with them if they're just bugging me? And by the way, Lord, I'm, I'm knowing that you're giving patience and forgiveness to me. So help me now to give it to them. Jesus also says every day, there's gonna be temptation in your life. And so ask God, if you're struggling with a sin area right now or just something you know isn't wise or isn't good for you, outright ask God, just say, God, would you lead me away from that thing? Would you prevent me from getting into that trouble? Would you just direct my steps? Help me because I'm too weak to stop it on my own. And then the frustration of pain. We all have it every day. Sometimes it's physical pain. Often it's emotional pain. And he says, deliver us from the evil one. That is, there's an enemy of our souls, Satan. He wants our frustration in every one of these areas to drive us away from God. And instead, Jesus models and teaches your frustration in all these areas and in every area of your life, it can actually be a platform that connects you to God. It can be a pathway to connection with God instead of a pathway to frustration. So your frustration matters and it matters to God. I wonder right now, would you just identify in your life, where is it that this last week or maybe even today, right before you started this service, you're just frustrated? Could be your spouse, it could be your finances, it could be your job, it could just be COVID-19 and the world. Would you identify that? And God brought you into this moment, I'm here to tell you, because that frustration, guess what? It matters to God. He's not like, oh, I'm too busy to care about your frustration in your marriage or your frustration with your health or your job. The whole point of the Lord's prayer is saying, your father in heaven, who's always good to you, who loves you, he cares about what matters to you. Now, now let, me, let me just tell you something here. Because some of us, some of us have a personality that we just stuff things down. And we don't even acknowledge our frustrations to ourselves. And guess what? That will lead you to desperation. That will lead you deeper and deeper into frustration. The Lord's prayer is, part of it is identifying, God, here's where I'm hungry. Here's where someone wronged me. Here's where I just feel like I'm being attacked by the enemy. 
Here's where I don't think I have enough. Identify your frustrations. Bring them to God, knowing that he cares for you. I don't know if you have seasonal allergies. I'm really thankful that here in Indiana, I don't have bad allergies. But when we used to live up in the mountains of Arizona, I had these terrible allergies. In fact, it's kind of an ironic story because we bought this house that was surrounded by these beautiful giant juniper trees. And we bought the house and we moved in and we were so thrilled. And then after about a year there, we realized that me and my son, Jack, both had extreme allergies to these juniper trees. And so here's a picture of Jack. He and I would both look like this in the spring. You can just see how swollen his eyes are. And, you know, we'd take Zyrtec and all the allergy medications and go to the allergy doctor. And there was really just nothing they could do. Jack and I both just had this severe, severe allergy. And I remember one day in particular, because Jack at this age, he was just this ball of energy. I mean, maybe you've got a toddler like this, uh, or maybe you've got someone who's grown up and they used to be like this. But I mean, Jack had two speeds at this age, sleep and sprint. There was nothing in the middle. And he was unstoppable. I mean, he was like a Labrador retriever or some breed of dog that you just can't wear it out. You could play with him all day. And he would not be tired until he'd finally collapse at night, finally sleep, and then he would jump out of bed the next morning and it was another day of it. And that's how he was as a toddler. But I remember this one day. His allergies were just bugging him so much. His eyes were all stuffy and he had snot caked across his face. And he and I, we were outside taking a walk and he started off strong. You know, we were walking and he'd run ahead and he started like he normally did, but he just wasn't quite keeping up. As the walk continued, he started to trip, which was really unusual for him. And he just started to get really weak. And then at one point he just looked up at me and he said, dad, would you hold me? And it was this time, I don't know if you've had this with any of your kids or if you're a teenager and you maybe babysit or watch some of your cousins where they're really light and then they get a little bigger and one day you pick them up and you're like, whoa, <laughs> it's like picking up two cases of bottled water right there. Like that is getting heavier. And he was at that age and I remember picking him up and I was like, oh, I'm not putting him on my shoulders today. I'm just going to kind of pick him up. But it was such a moment where he just looked up at me with those stuffy eyes and just said, Dad, would you hold me? And I said, of course, buddy. Come up here. And I picked him up just like any good dad would do. I wonder this, what do you do when you're weak? What do you do when you're tired? Who do you go to when you're just uncomfortable? Just like allergies, it's just like stuffy and itchy and it's just like, I just can't get comfortable. Have you called out to your father? You know, we all get tired and one of the things I love about our church movement is you don't have to pretend here like you never get tempted or like you never get tired. You don't have to pretend like you're superhuman. We all get worn out. Did you know that even Jesus, when he humbled himself and became human, he had to sleep at night? He had to eat food. In other words, he got tired. He got hungry. He had physical frailty and weaknesses just like we do. He would get sweat in his eyes. He knew the sting of emotional rejection. He knows what it feels like to be lonely. 
Jesus, when he walked on earth, he was tempted with all the same sins that you and I struggle with. And scripture says he was tempted in every way, just like you and me. Jesus had to forgive people who wronged him. Remember that time when he was literally nailed to the cross and he calls out to his father, just as he's teaching us to do with our frustrations. He says, father, these people who are tearing my body apart, draining it of blood, exhaling all the life out of my physical body with my final breaths, I'm going to say, father, I find my strength in you. Would you forgive them? Would you forgive even the people who are killing me right now? Jesus gives us this great example that in every weakness, even though he was perfect, he always went to the father in prayer. I mean, if there was anyone who could have made it with their allergies and their frustrations without going to the father, if there was anyone who could have done it, it would have been Jesus. And instead, he goes to the father over and over again. He would break away from the crowds, always finding his identity, his stability, his center, his calm in the storm, always through his relationship to God the father. And so in the Lord's prayer, he says, do the same. Every frustration you have is actually a door. You can open that door and you can walk through it into the presence of your father and your frustration becomes a pathway to connection. And you tell the father what's bugging you. And not only do you connect with him in that emotion and in those feelings, but often he'll whisper into your ear and he'll say, here's what you do about that. And now your frustration even becomes inspiration and God uses you to go fix a problem not only in your life, but in the world around you. You know, Jesus modeled prayer to us. We call it the Lord's Prayer. It has this underlying assumption. I mean, if you picture the whole prayer here, it's like it's built on a platform, and the platform is this. Your Father in heaven is good, and he cares, and you can call out to him, and he's listening. You know, I've learned in my life, and as I've interacted with other followers of Jesus, that most of us don't actually think God is good. We might say if we are asked, is God good? Oh, God's good all the time, right? People say that. But here's what I've learned. Most of us, if we suddenly get a cancer diagnosis or someone we love gets killed in a car accident or we're experiencing severe pain or frustration, we default to thinking God must be mad at us God must be judging me. God must be against me. Uh, this is a very normal response, but it's actually not what the word of God teaches. You know, when I think of Jesus' assumption that God the Father is good, even when life is bad, I think of a famous person from the word of God. His name's Job. Job uh, lived thousands of years ago. In fact, the book of Job is the oldest book of scripture as far as the ancient manuscripts go. But the whole book of Job, if you're not familiar, it's all about suffering. And there's 40 some chapters in this long story. You could go into it in your life application study Bible, but let me summarize the whole thing for you. Job was wealthy and he had a great family and all sorts of things. And one day Satan came to God and said, God, uh, your servant Job, he only loves you because of all the good stuff you've given him. I want to take it all away and see what he does. And so it's Satan, not God, who takes everything away from Job. He steals his physical health, his bread from his stomach, his relationships, 
everything that Job had gets ripped away. And it's such a significant book because the people who seem really religious and spiritual, they come to Job and they say, Job, God must be mad at you. But they were dead wrong. God wasn't mad at him. And I've learned in studying the book of Job that when bad things happen in your life, don't assume that God's mad at you. I mean, if you've placed your faith in Christ, he sees you as perfect as Jesus, even when you're in the middle of messing up. And the bad things that happened to Job's life, they actually came from Satan, not from God. But the whole book ends up being this this show of these two paths. Remember the two paths of frustration? You can have frustration that leads to desperation or frustration that leads to connection. And just like you, just like me, Job had to make this choice. Which way am I going to go? And what's so interesting is all of Job's friends and even his wife, they chose to believe that God was against them and it led them to desperation. Job, on the other hand, even as he went through difficulty, he said, I'm going to keep believing God is good and it led him to connection with God. Uh, Here's two examples of that. In Job chapter two, Job's wife, says, uh, we've lost our wealth, we've lost our kids. She literally says in Job chapter two, curse God and die. This is a very common response to people when people are frustrated. It's a very common response to God to say, curse God and die. And then she does die. Her saying, God is the one doing all this to me. It just leads her further into desperation. Job, even as he suffers and he endures, just like you're doing right now, And he perseveres. And he sees everything he could depend on stripped away from him. He keeps trusting God, not perfectly, by the way, but consistently. And at the end, in Job chapter 42, he says this, God, I had only heard about you before. See, as Job continues to trust in God, eventually, it takes years, but eventually everything is restored back to him. And I just love this verse. I had only heard about you before. Job's talking directly to God. I I wonder who I'm talking to right now that this first half, this is you. You're like, yeah, people talk about God and experiencing God and seeing him answer prayers. And I've heard about it, but it's just like hearing old stories. It's like, okay, good for you. I haven't experienced that. And then Job says this, I had only heard about you before what? Before my suffering, before my frustration, before I lost everything I could depend on. But after my frustration, I kept believing in you and turning to you. And now I have seen you with my own eyes. In other words, God, I've experienced you like never before. And it's not because life was so easy. It's actually because of the frustration. In the frustration, I kept turning to you and I connected with you like never before. Here's the thing, where there's frustration in your life, you get to choose these two paths. Which one are you gonna choose today? In fact, we could just ask it to you like a question. Which one? Which one will you choose today? Because here's the promise. If you will trust God in your frustration, then someday you also will say like Job, I had only ever heard about it. On the other side of COVID-19, 
And right now we're frustrated because we're like, is the other side of COVID-19 tomorrow or next month or next year? We don't know. Job didn't know. Whatever you're going through in your business, in your relationships, as you're making decisions about school and friends, you don't know when that thing's going to end, but you can know this. Trust God in your frustration. Turn to him with your frustration, and someday, because of his faithfulness, you'll look back, and just like Job, you'll say, I had only ever heard about you before, but now, now I've seen you with my own eyes. This is God's heart for you. You know, Jesus shows us what it looks like to believe that God the Father is only ever good to us. Jesus shows us what that looks like, and I know it's hard to believe it. Job didn't believe it perfectly. I struggle to believe it oftentimes when we're feeling frustrated, but it's this choice that says, God, I'm either going to turn away from you and think you're against me. I know that'll just lead me to desperation, or I'm going to choose to believe that you're good and you're for me, and in time, it'll lead to connection and even inspiration. You know, sometimes people say, well, if we're all going through bad stuff, it must mean that God is raining down his judgment. Let me show you a visual here. Because the word of God does talk about judgment from God. But there's something very important that you need to know about the work of Jesus on the cross. And it's this. Everyone who trusts in Christ, if you've had a moment where you said, Jesus, I believe that you're God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose again. Will you be my savior? Guess what happens? You come under Christ and now you will never be the recipient of God's judgment. So if you're a believer in Jesus, you can know if you get cancer, if a loved one dies of COVID, if you get diagnosed with it, if you lose your income, God's judgment no longer falls on you. Now, here's the thing. We live in a world that's still broken by sin. And I've written a whole book on this. I won't summarize the whole book here, but you can get my book, I Am Strong. We'll send you a copy for free if you want one to fully unpack what the word of God says about this. But here's the thing. In eternity, we will be with God in heaven where there's no pain, there's no suffering. In this world, we will never be the objects of God's judgment because we've trusted in Christ. But just like Job, who was also one of God's chosen people, we will experience pain and mortality and sometimes even spiritual attack from the enemy. Now, as a very short tangent, some Christians say, well, you know, what about the passages of Scripture that say God disciplines those he loves? And that's true. If you want to go deeper, we'll give you some resources in your small groups. Proverbs 3, verse 12 is probably the best resource. It says, God disciplines those he loves just as a father disciplines the child he adores. Uh, just this last week, I had a, a moment with my kids where they know when they wake up in the morning, they're not supposed to get on their electronic devices right away. And Mel and I, we were kind of waking up and we were like, boy, it's awfully quiet in the house. And so we tiptoed to one of their rooms and we, we slowly opened the door and we peeked in and there's all three of them sitting in a circle on their devices, which nothing evil with that, but they knew they weren't supposed to be doing that. They knew they were disobeying us. And we opened the door and they all looked up at us. <laughs> they were caught, right? Now, did I lose my temper on them? No, but did I give them some consequences? I said, hey, you guys know the rules. You just directly disobeyed us. It means you're not going to have device time now for the next couple days because of what you did. Why did I do that? 
It's because when they disobey, they come out from under my blessing and protection. And I'm teaching them, if you're an honest person, if you're a person who keeps the rules, you will have a safer life. So it's true that if you're a follower of Jesus and you're living in complete open sin, you're out here anyways. You're going to get your own consequences for what you're doing. And he may push you. He may pressure you through some uncomfortable things in your life to say, get back into living in Christ. Now, that's not about your salvation, but it is about your present comfort. So that's what it means that God disciplines us. But I love that verse in Proverbs 3. Just like my illustration of me with my three kids, I didn't discipline them because I wanted to judge them and like, I'm going to teach them a lesson, right? That's not the heart of God. He's a good father and he loves you. And even if he has to discipline you, it's just to get you back into the place where you're safe. So here's my question. When you think of God and you're going through suffering, do you think he wants to help you or do you think he wants to hurt you? Where you're frustrated today, will you call out to your father? Where you're frustrated right now, will you call out to him accepting he's only ever good to you? Will you call out to him believing, God, I I know you can help me in this situation where I'm frustrated. I've got to tell you the most inspirational story that I've gotten to experience in the last few weeks. And it's our brother and sister, Kevin and Becky Byron. We told you about Kevin. He's a local firefighter in the Brownsburg Fire Department and his wife, Becky. When Kevin got diagnosed with COVID-19 and he had to go into the hospital, he got it from being a firefighter, Becky found herself in a situation where she was unsure about her husband's future, where they were about to lose their house, where she's kind of trapped at home with teenagers, and in the middle of it, she loses her job. I mean, you talk about having valid concerns and frustrations, and here's what we saw from Becky Even though none of it made sense and it was scary and it could have seemed like, where's God or why is God against me? She chose like Job to say, I'm going to call out to God. In my pain, I'm going to turn toward him instead of turning away from him. And Becky called out to God in prayer. She called out to her church family and said, I need a, I need a body of believers around me. And many of you were part of matching a $10,000 gift to give $20,000 total to help with Kevin's medical bills and to help Becky be able to keep the house. And more importantly than that, we've been praying for Kevin's health. Because when he was first checked into the hospital, they said, Kevin is the sickest patient with COVID that we've had. His lungs are failing, his kidneys are failing, his heart's failing. Well, you guys have prayed, you've supported, and here's a picture this last week of Kevin getting out of the hospital. I mean, what a beautiful moment. But I got to tell you, from talking on the phone with Becky, it hasn't been easy. And Kevin's still not completely out of the woods. His lungs are better. His kidneys have gotten a lot better, but he's still got a ways to go. But what I'm seeing in both Kevin and Becky is this decision to say, in my frustration, I'll keep turning to God. I got to talk with Kevin this last week, and you can tell he's, he's still, he was actually was in a coma for quite a while, so he's still kind of waking up from all this and figuring out what's going on. He's anxious to get back to work on the fire department rig. You're going to hear him talk about the rig, but what he and Becky keep doing is turning to God. Go ahead and take a look at my conversation with him. Hey, Kevin. 
Hey, Pastor John. Hey, good to see you, man. Thank you. It's good to see you. Yeah. Man, I feel like I'm talking to a living, breathing answer to prayer. Uh, I feel like that sometimes. Wow. I, you know, I probably am. I, I'm very lucky to have the people that I have, you know, praying for me in my corner. So. Well, we're so proud of you, man, and we're yeah. standing with you and your family. And uh, it's just amazing to see you without a without a ventilator in your mouth. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. I, I don't think I'd be in my my road to recovery would have been a lot harder if it weren't for the fact that I didn't know that you guys were supporting my family like you were. Yeah. So I I'm very grateful. Wow, we're Thank privileged. You. We're privileged to get to do it. We're grateful for you and all the sacrifices you've made saving lives in our community for years and years. Uh, yeah. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, that's, that's been the privilege. I mean, it's uh, being able to, to, to get on the rig and, and, and serve is, is definitely been my honor and my privilege. So, What would you ask us to be praying about for you now? Uh, I don't know. That strength and endurance, I guess. Yeah. That's, I think that's what I need the most right now. Yeah. So, yeah. Right now, it's just the fight to get back to my family. So, so like I said, the fact that you guys have been there for my family has been, that's, that's been a feeling as, as, as much as anything else. So I, I'm very, very grateful. It's our honor. So, hey, we love you. Keep resting up. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Talk to you later, John. All right. Thanks, Kevin. You know, Kevin and Becky have chosen to keep calling out to God. And I love the way Jesus talks over and over again about us being like children to a good father. Because when a child calls out to a father, it's not about using eloquent words. It's just about this kind of guttural groan that says, God, I need your help. It's been amazing to see God answer Becky's prayers and our prayers for Kevin. You know, when I think about calling out to the father, it takes me back in time to my daughter Zoe when she was a toddler. She had this little Thomas the Train push car. And the thing about Zoe at this age is that her, her feet could kind of touch the ground, but it was just the tips of her toes. And so she could sit on it, but she couldn't really propel herself around. And so I would go to the back and I would kind of run her around the house and especially on the wood floor, you know, we'd do some good uh, drifting and skidding. And so very often Zoe, she would sit down on this thing and she would just call out to me. And she, it, this was before she had a lot of words and she would just kind of look at me and be like, eh, eh. And it was so funny because there wasn't a lot of eloquence to it, but there was a lot of authority in it. You know, there's this thing in grammar called an imperative verb. It's like saying stop or jump or do this or do that. Did you know every one of the requests in the Lord's Prayer, give me today my daily bread, forgive me my sins, deliver me from evil, they're all imperatives. They're command verbs. Why could we command God? We shouldn't be able to. But through the work of Jesus, we are just like a child to a good father saying, ah, I have a need. And we're saying it in an imperative verb because we know he wants to help. I remember Zoe, she would make that grunting noise. And then I would go over to the back of that little Thomas the train and I'd push her around. 
Here's the thing. The spine of Jesus' prayer is just us laying out our real frustrations and concerns and looking to him every day to meet our needs. You know, when you do your taxes, there's this area called dependence. Your dependents are your children when you have them. And, and here's the thing. We're all dependents on our heavenly father. I'm a dependent, but I have a good dad, a rich dad who is present and loving and powerful. And he's strong enough to meet my every need and to care for my every weakness. I may be weak, but he is strong. I may be broken, but he's a healer. I might be tempted, but he's a protector. I might be beaten down, but he's the one who builds up. Oh, I may be struggling with sin, but he has defeated sin. I may be wrestling to be content. He is contentment. I might be lonely. He's closer than a brother. I might be rejected or abandoned, but he's always with me. I might be resentful and bitter and wounded and suspicious, but he is love. I might feel forsaken, but he's a friend who's closer than a brother. He's a God who loves you more faithfully than a mother. He hears your cries. He sees your suffering. He knows your needs, and he longs every day for you to find your strength in him. He longs every day for you to bring your weakness to him. Do you know him as your heavenly father? He's your heavenly father. Do you know it, child of God? He'll never leave you or forsake you. Do you realize that you're his daughter? You're his son. And when you pass through the waters, he's going to be with you. When you find yourself on a stormy sea, he will be there to tell your soul, peace, be still. When you're too busy, he makes you lie down in green pastures. When you stumble, he picks you up. When you cry, he's near to the brokenhearted. When you fail, he's compassionate, forgiving, and good. When you reject him, he pursues you. When you sin, he forgives you. When your heart fails, he's the strength of your heart. When you're discontent, he's your portion forever. When you're lonely, he's there at your right hand. When you're hungry, he's the bread of life. When you're thirsty, he's the living water. When you're weary, he gives you rest. And when you wait on him, he renews your strength. He restores your soul. He creates in you a clean heart. Would you call out to him today? Our Father, give us today all that we need. Let's pray it now. Father, I thank you that you're a God who meets our needs. And Lord, our prayer to you this week is very simple. Would you make us like a toddler in our hearts that we would bring you our every discomfort, our every hunger, our every fear, our every concern, our every anxiety. Would you train us to call out to you? Would you make us like Job to believe that you're good and you're for us even when life seems to be against us? We trust you, we love you, and we worship you today in Jesus' name, amen.